Good morning. How are you guys? Good, good. If you're new to Table Community, my name's Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And normally I get the privilege of standing here and opening God's Word and preaching. But as I mentioned last week, uh, I am not going to be doing that through the month of December. We have a few different people that will be up here preaching each week on Father. Next week will be Carrie Fay. Adam will preach on Father today. Carrie Fay will preach on the Spirit next week. And then Jordan, another one of our pastors, will preach on Jesus, the Son. Uh, the week after that. So in just a moment, I will welcome Adam onto the stage to preach. But before I do that, I have a few announcements regarding Christmas and all the details surrounding Christmas. Uh, The first is this. Last week, we announced our giving tree, and we told you that we uh, had asked for double the amount of people to serve this year through DHS, thinking that it would be a lofty goal and that it would take us a few weeks to reach. And you guys met every need last week. 120 people Uh, 120 tags were grabbed. Yeah, it's awesome. And so uh, we reached out to some of our other local ministries that we serve and work with, and we were able to get 15 more people to serve. So if you didn't get a chance to grab a tag last week, you can do so uh, today on your way out. If Sorry, people who are at the second gathering probably aren't going to get a chance again. So you get that opportunity since you got up early to come here. Uh, The other announcement about Christmas is in regards to Christmas Eve. Last week, we announced our Christmas Eve gathering at the Venetian on December 24th. And at the time, we said our gatherings were at 4.30 and 6. We need to make a slight change to that. The Christmas Eve gatherings are still at the Venetian on the 24th. But instead of 4.30 and 6, we're going to do 3 o'clock and 4.30. That's for a variety of reasons, but we will send this out. We will annoy you how many times we announce this in the days leading up to Christmas Eve. So Christmas Eve, 3 o'clock and 4.30. If you're talking to someone in your community or a family member that got the original newsletter and they tell you they're going to go to the 6 o'clock, don't be mean. Tell them that there is no 6 o'clock gathering and invite them to the 4.30 or the 3, okay? So we'll announce that a lot more in the coming weeks. And then the last announcement is the Sunday after Christmas Eve, so it's like two days later, we will not be gathering in this space. That is an annual tradition for us. We always take the week, the week off after our Christmas Eve gathering, so do not show up the Sunday after our Christmas Eve gathering. Again, we will announce this a ton, but we want to start putting it before you, uh, before I forget, before you forget, and someone shows up that day and no one's here for you. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, so grab some uh, name off the giving tree, show up for our Christmas Eve gathering, and don't show up the Sunday after Christmas Eve. Those are your announcements. Now, would you please welcome one of our pastors, Adam, to the stage. Good morning, guys. I'm getting tired of saying that yet? <laughs> um, as Justin said, my name is Adam Crown, one of the pastors here, and I just want to say for those of you that are here and those of you watching online, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, if I haven't met you yet, I would love the opportunity to do that, whether you're here or whether you're online. Uh, and also, as Justin mentioned, uh, we're continuing this series in Advent on the Trinity called Delighting in the Trinity. Last week, Justin talked about this idea uh, that God is Trinity and that in being Trinity, between Father, Son, and Spirit, he's in the eternal relationship of love. Justin described him as a lover, the beloved, and the love communicated in Father, Son, and Spirit. Not that God can love, not that God does love, but that God in his very essence and being is love. And then this week and in the following weeks, we're going to talk about the Father, Son, and the Spirit, those three people in that eternal relationship of love. This week, I get the opportunity to talk about the Father. And so I'm so excited about that. Um, We are going to, uh, or let me say by way of reminder, actually, before we dive into prayer and some of our 
outline for the day. We're basing this series off of a book that we have for sale out in the lobby called Delighting in the Trinity. Delighting in the Trinity, at least the title of it, but everyone that's preparing messages for this has been reading this book. If you don't have it yet or you're more interested in this topic, we'd encourage you to pick that up from the library or buy it off of Amazon. We're just selling it for whatever price we buy it for there. Um, but Delighting in the Trinity, and before we uh, move on, I do want to say... I, I do some design like in, in church world and some design, I've done some outside of the church too and that cover is terrible. It's so bad. It's like, oh man, I mean, the amount of people that had to say yes to that cover, is, it's crazy. And then that, that was the best that they came up with. They said no to so many things. Like this was, they're like, this is it. So the cover's bad, but the book is thin and it is deep and it is good. I promise you. So check out the book. Don't judge it by its cover like I would and am and can't stop. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray before we dive in to our sermon this morning. God, thank you so much for who you are, for who you are, a God of eternal relationship of love, a God who made us in your very image, which means that we are made from love and we are made for love. And we anticipate, Lord, just like people did on the first Christmas, we anticipate the coming of that love we thank you for the coming of that love and the Messiah in the first advent, and we pray and long and hope for that second advent, the reunion and full reconciliation of all things brought back to you in the will of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, again, thank you guys for joining us. Um, I know what you're probably thinking uh, this morning as you came in and you saw the little switcheroo between Justin and me and heard that I was preaching. You're like, this makes sense because if anyone should be talking about father, it's the guy who just had a kid three months ago. Like, this is like, this makes total sense. You're the one who should be talking, like, Art and Sally, no disrespect, but I have a thing or two to teach you guys this morning, right? <laughs> for, those of you, for those of you who don't know, Art and Sally have, I think, 17 grandkids, so like... <laughs> They should probably be up here teaching, but I I'm, I'm really am excited about teaching on this topic um, for a number of reasons. One, um, yeah, I, I am a dad now. Over the last uh, three months, I've been able to be a father. My wife, Nicole, and I, some of you know our story on this and some of you don't, but we had been trying to have a kid for a little over a year through 2018 and 2019, and we were unsuccessful at that. And then in 2019, I got diagnosed with testicular cancer, which I don't need to explain a lot. is isn't the best cancer to get if you're trying to have a kid, right? <laughs> That's how science works, right? Um, so it wasn't the best cancer to get, so between like surgeries and chemotherapies and then just waiting so we could try that again, we eventually started trying again. And then on Christmas Day in 2020, we found out, the Christmas Day, we found out they were going to have a son. We have a picture of some of that here. Um, yeah, and he was born uh, this September on the 1st. And uh, that's, that's, we have that Christmas tree ornament up every year, that pregnancy <laughs> test. Yeah, <that's>... <laughs> <laughs> so gross when you think about what that test is, right? So gross. <laughs> but, <laughs> right? Just a marker. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, no, so uh, my buddy of mine, it was funny, he said he's much cuter on the left, much cuter on the left. But, um, but no, uh, we wanted to say, on the one hand, I'm excited about preaching this morning on this topic because I wanted to say thank you to you guys. So many of you partnered with us in prayer and in support for this to happen, and so we wanted to say thank you. It is an honor and a privilege and a joy, as many of you know, to raise a child, but especially a son in our world today. So thank you. Um, but I'm excited to preach on this topic, um, not because I've been a dad for all of it, but three months. I'm excited to preach on it because it's such a foundational and integral part of our faith. It's, it might be the most important and integral part of our faith. 
On this idea of God as Father, J.I. Packer had this to say. J.I. Packer is this legendary theologian. Uh, He's passed recently, but a legendary author and theologian in the faith. He said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. This is not the thought that prompts, if, excuse me, this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook on life. It means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. You might have an understanding of Christianity, but the depth can be sapped if you don't understand God as Father. For everything that Christ taught that is distinctively Christian, as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father, we might say, is the Christian name for God. Now that might seem like a strong statement. That's because it is a strong statement. But where can Packer get this kind of statement from? Where is he getting this from? He's getting this because Jesus Christ himself refers to God as Father 189 times throughout the Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus refers to God as Father. And Father, the reunion of people with their Father, is the primary reason why Jesus said he came. Look at his own words in John 17 here. This idea is so important to our faith. John 17, right before Jesus goes to the cross, he's praying to the Father, and he looks up, and he speaks these words. He lifts up his eyes to heaven, and he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. He's talking about the cross. And since you have given him authority over all flesh, to do what? To give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Now, when you and I think of eternal life, I think we tend to think of a future day. I think we tend to think of the opposite of the bad place, hell. As long as I agree to some facts, I get to go there at some point. It's kind of our ticket into Wonka's chocolate factory. But Jesus is going to tell us what he means in this text when he says eternal life. This is eternal life. That they know you. That they know you. That is eternal life. Knowing the Father the only true God. And how do we know him? Through his son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I made known to them your name. He says this at the end of his prayer. I made known to these people your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Which is sort of like, whoa, what are you, what's this Jesus judo talk? I in them, and what is going on here? Jesus is saying the same love that he has always known in the Father since the very beginning the eternal love that the Father has constantly been loving the Son in and communicating that love through the Spirit that overflowed to creation that we were made from and that we were made for, Jesus wants to reunite us with that because that's what we exist for. He wants us to be reunited with that when we are in Him. So again, let's say this. There might be a myriad of reasons that Jesus came, but this, the Father, reunion with the Father, it seems to be the primary reason why He came, and it's not some mere metaphor. He says 189 times that God is Father. Not that he's like a father, not that he's kind of, like you have dads play catch with you, you know what I'm talking about? That's kind of like what dad's like. No, he's saying God is Father. But that's a truth, that's a reality, but then how do we live into that reality? How does that reality actually change our life? And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at not just the fact that God is Father, not just propositional truths that God is Father, but how does the reality of God as Father and how he relates to us, how does that change us for our good and for his glory? And that's what I want to look at this morning. What's the Father like and how can we delight in his love? So we'll follow the same outline that Justin did last week, all right? So Justin, last week, he, he opened up with this idea of the Trinity, but he said there's some tensions that we need to deal with before we start talking about the Trinity, some things that are like hang-ups or hurdles for us to understanding it properly. 
So I want to look at tensions this week as well. And then we'll look at the Bible and what does the Bible have to say. And then eventually we'll get into some implications of how we might live in light of this and applying it to our life this week. Sound good? So we've got tensions, Bible, implications, and applications, right? Good? All right, so let's dive in this morning to our sermon and message on the Father. First, we'll talk about some tensions. And I have three tensions this morning. I'll try to be brief with these because I really want to get into the Word itself. Uh, But the three tensions that I have this morning are, one, it's just hard to talk about one person of the Trinity when you're doing a sermon series on the Trinity. I've been texting and calling Carrie Faye and Jordan all week because it's like, hey, I'm going to use this passage. Is that okay? Is that stepping on your toes? And we've all been doing this toward and with each other, which is kind of beautiful, but it just creates a tension. So I want to do the best I can to talk about the Father most, but we can't talk about the Father and not the others on a sermon on Trinity. The second tension is that we all have personal experiences with earthly fathers, right? We all have an earthly father if you're in this room, and many of us are fathers. And there's good and bad to this. There's on the one hand, let's, let's acknowledge just some stats and some facts here, that there are one in four people in the United States experience fatherlessness. They have no dad in the home. One in four. And there's some, there's some really harsh stats that come with that, that of that one in four, you've got seven times more likely for daughters to become pregnant as teenagers. You've got five times more likely to experience poverty themselves or to be impoverished when they're adults. You've got two times more likely to drop out of school, two times more likely to be uh, wrapped up in violence, either violence happening to them or participating in violence. These stats are, it's a tragic reality, right? But they're not just stats, it's a reality that affects many in this room. I mean, my own dad grew up without ever knowing his father, ever. And as he tried to father me, there was plenty of mess in that, but I had a lot of grace for him because he never even knew a dad, right? He didn't even really have a father figure in his life. My own wife, she, she grew up with a single mom and she did the best she could with what she had, but, and my wife turned out pretty great in, in a lot of ways and experienced some, I don't want to say reconciliation, but reconnection with her father, but it has had its marks, it's had its difficulties. And, and I, I do want to say to anyone in the room who is experiencing fatherlessness, directly or indirectly, that you can step up and do the best you can, but you can get help from a community of people that are here, right? So I do want to throw that out. But this is a reality. Fathers are super important. They're super integral. And a father in the house, present or uh, not in the house, who isn't present, but also a father who's in the house and isn't really present, it affects us, right? Some of you, perhaps like me, you had a dad who was a great provider. Like you, you never had to worry about the roof over your head or the food on the table. It wasn't really relatable. He, did, he, he struggled to relate to us and to really care for us in those ways that we maybe needed. Others of you had a dad who was super relatable, but not super reliable, right? Didn't really pay the bills that much. My point is, we all have earthly fathers. And even at their best, they still have some failings that have impacted us, at least impacted us of what we think of when we think of father, right? And so when we hear that we're going to do a message on the father, that comes with us into this story. And I'm hoping we can deal with some of that this morning. Because God is nothing like our earthly fathers. The last tension that I think is sort of informed by our own experience of fathers is that then we sort of separate God into Old Testament God versus New Testament God, right? Old Testament God, New Testament God. Old Testament God is the Father, New Testament God is the Son. Old Testament God is kind of cold, distant, unapproachable, a little like flying off the handle, emotional at times, and then New Testament God is like long-suffering, gracious, he's probably got some nice coiffed hair, he's a good-looking guy, like this is like, this is the New Testament God. The, the issue there is that Christ will not let us separate God and Father in that way. God the Father and God the Son in that way. He won't let us do it. 
some disciples of Jesus, some of his 12, they tried to separate God in this way. Look at what, how Jesus responds. There's a guy named Philip in Jesus' disciples. And uh, Jesus had just got done telling him in John 14. He says, you guys, if you want to follow me, that's great. But you've got to believe in me. And in believing in me, you believe in the Father. And Philip's like, great. Can you just show me a sign? Can you do one of your magic tricks or give me a miracle? And I'll believe in the Father. And here's how Jesus responds in John 14. Philip tries to separate old God and new God. And Jesus says to him in verse 9, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. The Father is not either of these things. He is not a mixed bag of good or bad. He is not any different from what we see in Christ either because he is eternally merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and steadfast in his abounding love. We'll see this attributed to him in our study of the scriptures this morning. So what I want to do this morning, with those tensions in mind, I want to look at what is the shape of the Father's love. There's lots of ways we could talk about uh, the Father in the Trinity this morning, we could give like six propositional truths or things like that, and that's, that's a perfectly appropriate way to talk about the Father this morning. But what I'd rather do, rather than speak to our minds and our heads, I'd rather speak to our hearts this morning and speak to the relational love of the Father that some of us don't know at all at this point, and that some of us, I'm hoping, will have a fresh understanding of that maybe we've lost. And so I think the best way to do that is to try to enter into one of the stories where Jesus describes the Father. There's 189 instances, and we don't have that much time this morning. So I want to enter into one of the moments where Jesus describes what the Father's love looks like in the story of the prodigal son, which I think we're all familiar with. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and shift into looking at the Scriptures with these tensions in mind. Let's look at Luke 15 and what Jesus teaches about the shape of the Father's love. Luke 15. Now, in Luke 15, he's giving give a little bit of context here, right? We've got, um, we've got tax collectors, sinners, and Pharisees in the crowd. We see this in verses 1 through 2. We've got tax collectors, sinners, and Pharisees. And then in verse 2, we see that the religious leaders, with the scribes included, they're frustrated. They say, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So you've got outsiders, people who are royally screwing up or have screwed up in some way, shape, or form, or just have been ostracized from the in crowd, but somehow, some reason, they are outsiders from this group, either because decisions they are making or decisions they have made. And then you've got these quote-unquote insiders, you've got these religious folks, so these scribes and Pharisees, and they're frustrated because Jesus is receiving them. So one crowd seems to sort of know that they're outsiders, the other crowd doesn't, but what we will see is that both crowds here are outsiders. Both crowds are at a distance from the Son and therefore the Father. So Jesus shares some parables. We all know this, right? The parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and eventually the lost son, which we pick up in verse 11. Jesus is going to describe to them the way the Father loves. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, uh, when do you usually get your property, right? If it's an inheritance, when would you usually get it? You can talk back, that's fine. When dad dies, right? Yeah. Thank you, Kent. Good looking out, man. 
when dad dies, right? So I don't know how things would go in your family, but if I went to my dad and said, you're, you're worth more to me dead than alive. I just want my stuff from you. I don't really want a relationship with you. Can I please have it now, please? Uh, the conversation probably would have went something like, well, someone's going to be dead by the end of the conversation. Like, <laughs> do you want to keep going or how do you want this to go? Right? I mean, I, I, it would not have gone well for me. That's probably how most of us would respond to, and it would feel completely appropriate, because this is a bold ask, but look what the father does. He divides up his property between them, between these two sons that he has. And a quick side note here, these are like adult kids. This isn't like a 12-year-old saying, like, I want to do this, or I want that. This isn't that. This is an adult, and the father gives him what would be his after he died early. And it doesn't seem like a reckless giving. It seems like he's giving it with some sort of wisdom attached to it. And so the, but even still, it's, it's a crazy thing to do. So I, the question I have to ask is like, why or how could the father do this? And I think at least one reason is I don't know how the boy could ever know that the father loved him or that the father cared about him without some freedom to make that decision and find out the hard way. The father seems to know this. He's willing to let him go find out. Because command and control never really works in relationships, does it? Doesn't. It doesn't really work in relationships. You can have a relationship with a police officer, no disrespect to the cops in the room, but if you pull me over, it is much different than the relationship I have with my father. Right? It's much different. It doesn't keep him from the consequences of his rebellion, though. Look at verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate from, and no one gave him anything. Now this is like a sad picture in and of itself, but this is a cultural taboo picture as well. Jesus is painting this picture of a man who's associating with unclean animals. He is untouchable, and then he's not just untouchable, he wants to eat from the unclean animals' food and slop. This is gross. I grew up... Um, on a sort of small pig farm. They are disgusting, even if you're not Jewish. Like, it, is, it has a smell that is indescribable and inescapable. And this guy's like, I want some of that. Like, he's at rock bottom. And that question, this is sort of a, a rabbit trail as well, but like, why didn't the father intervene? Like, why didn't he, why didn't he say, like, oh, well, he's at least got a job, so I'm going to cover his rent for him, you know? Like, the father does not enable bad behavior, right? He's not going to enable this. Because honestly, I think it's, he's not a helicopter dad. It is the kindness of God in this moment to let this man fall flat on his back so he can look up and see a father who cares. It's the kindness of God to let this happen. There's wisdom in this. It's not reckless at all. Many of you know what this is like, right? I've had this happen. So he's sitting there starving alone and he thinks to himself, but in verse 17, coming to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here in hunger? I'll arise, I'll go to my father, I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And how many of you, back in the day, you've done this, right? You've rehearsed the apology when you come home to mom and dad. It's like, all right, you guys, like, not only did I screw up to you, like, I sinned against God, and like, you're just the best parents ever. I don't know how I could have done this. Like, I it just... You, you didn't do anything wrong. This is all me. Like, you're going to go over the top, right? That's what this son's doing. And there's, there's a goodness to this at the same time. It's not just to poke fun. He's genuinely repenting, turning from his life of self-destruction, trying to return to a place of order and love. 
he arises in his repentance and goes to his father. And something we didn't acknowledge at the beginning of this parable, but we need to acknowledge now, is that this whole story Jesus has been telling, this like, hey, there's two sons, there's a dad. Everyone, for the most part, everyone in the crowd would not have been surprised about this story because this is a common story in the first century world. It's a common parable meant to teach at this point in the story, the son is going to come home, dad and all the family and all the servants and all the community are supposed to grab stones and they're going to honor kill this fool for not only being a sin on the family, but to remove that sin and have everyone have collective responsibility for what that son represents. That's what's supposed to happen in this first century story that Jesus is telling. He's going to kind of Quentin Tarantino this thing on him and he's going to like shock him, right? So at this point, he shifts. We see in the next verse, but while he was still a long way off, his father felt compassion. He sees him. He sees him. So I don't think the father's just out checking mail. It's like he's almost waiting for the son to come back and he feels compassion and he runs and he embraces him and he kisses him and he tangles himself up with the son possibly so that if people actually wanted to stone him they wouldn't be able to see where the father began and the son ended. And the son says to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Here comes this apology. He's been practicing the whole way home. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But before he can even finish, this son is he's saying, can I just be like, can I live in the pool house and just catch some bread? Like, I'll do whatever. I'll be a servant. Like, can I just, I'll work to earn my relationship with you. But how does the father respond? He cuts him off before he can even say the servant part. Verse 22, the father says to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. That when, when this guy goes out into town, now he hasn't even had the pig crap taken off of him yet. He is still nasty. He puts this robe on him and he says, you're my son. When you go out into town now, you're going to see a son of the father. Puts a ring on his right hand. This is a sign of authority. You now have authority. Look at the authority we have within the spirit. He can now cash checks, which is insane given what he just did. Put shoes on his feet. This is a sign of adoption. This is a son now because only sons got shoes. Servants didn't. And he says, now we're going to party about this thing. We're going to bring in the fattened calf. We're going to kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for my son who is dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And just a quick side note here, you guys, because I have to know. What are the, what do like vegans and vegetarians do at this point in the story? Like, what is the, and I'm not trying to be like machismo and like, oh, eat meat. It's more like, if you're going to celebrate, like, is it like, and the father said, find me the rarest portabella or like, what is, what is it? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> to be fair, this is a church for all people, okay? Like, if you're that, if you go that way, that's fine. But listen to TCC, I, I do want to say this. This is how the Father feels, feels about us when we come to Him. Feels. It's, it's completely appropriate. We should have right thoughts about God. Justin just talked last week about how if you start singing love ballads to your wife, the redhead, and she happens to be a brunette, you might have problems, right? You've got to have right thoughts about God, but you also need to have a relational knowledge of God and realize that this is how God feels about you. The son misunderstood the father's love. He thought he was going to come in and clock in and clock out on being a son. It's not how it works in God's family. There's work to do, but we work out of our identity as loved, fully loved sons and daughters of a good father. Not to get adoption of the father, but because we're adopted by no work of our own. But Jesus isn't done with this parable, right? He's not done with this parable. He's just got done teaching 
that all of our sins, all of our deeds of unrighteousness are forgiven in the Father's love due to the union we have with the Son. And then he's going to speak, I think, to the older son in the room. Obviously to the older son, but I think to the religious people in the room. Verse 25, he says, to the older son, or of the older son, he was out in the field working, and as he came in, he drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. So this is a real party, because it's not just music. You can hear the dancing, so this isn't like a little cute TikTok thing you're doing or whatever. This is like real dancing, right? And he calls one of the servants and asks him what these things mean. Notice he doesn't go to the father. He goes to the second command, common, spoiled brother logic. And he says to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. And again, I don't know how this would have went in your family, but we're in Thanksgiving, Christmas season, right? Like if, if one of my cousins growing up was outside pouting and being like a little punk, if one of the dads went out to him, it wasn't going to be like, could you please come back in? That would be great. It'd be like, respect your grandma and get inside, you little dork. Like, what are you doing? Like, stop that. And tough love is appropriate often, for sure. But look at how this father goes out to his son. He entreats him. Entreats him. That word in the original language, just like beg or plead, he's begging him, please come in. But he answers his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command, that you never gave me a young goat even that I might celebrate with my friends. And then this son of yours comes home, he's devoured all of your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. Are you out of your mind? And the father says to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. See, the first son was lost in his badness, but the, first son, or the second son here is lost in his goodness. The first son was lost in sort of unrighteous living. The second son is lost in self-righteous living. And all of us seem to exist on this spectrum, right, between gratitude or ungratitude, we might say, and entitlement. You may not be as bad as you could be on there, but all of us know that we exist on this spectrum, kind of oscillating in between the two, and we have tendencies toward one or the other. And here's what I want to say, TCC, brothers and sisters, I beg of you, don't miss the party by playing religious games and doing religious things. How tempting and how big of an opportunity is it for us to miss the party during this time of year? playing Christmas and doing all sorts of different things, but we miss Christ and his presence here with us now. It's a temptation to even do it with this morning, right? To get so caught up in the religious attendance that we forget the relationship that God wants for us. Don't miss it. And you might be thinking to yourself, Adam, I thought this church was like all gospel-saturated. You guys talk about the gospel every Sunday. We do communion every Sunday, and that's all true and good. But maybe you'll be like me, and you'll be working really hard, working for free for a church plant, and investing your life, and, and doing all sorts of awesome things. And then you feel like you're finally stable enough to start a family with your wife, and you'll try for 12 months, and then God will give you cancer, and, and you'll just be like, okay, not cool, like, what is going on here? I mean, I got these friends here at this church and I've got all these people that I know, their life's a mess or that they're just normal people but they're not doing as much as me and uh, they get a kid in two seconds. Like, what's going on? Uh, words I can't say on recording come to mind, right? Now, I will say, to be clear, Nicole and I in our instances are struggling with that. Um, we did not succumb to that in large part due to, the community, due to the community of faith that's here. But the temptation was real, super real. So even if you don't feel like you're the older son right now, 
Know your tendencies. Right? And this gets us toward the implications. We see the Father's love. It is gracious. It is always there. It's always there for you. Whether you've gone off or whether you're here right now, it's always there. The question is, do we want to enter into it and believe it? The thoughts and the affection that the Father has for us. And I want to shift this morning and look at a couple of implications for us. Like, do we have a way to enter into that love that we just talked about, that Jesus just shared about in this parable? So two implications and two applications for us this morning. About entering into the love we just talked about. One is just figure out which son you are. Which son are you? One thing we learned about the Trinity last week is that God is a relationship of love first and foremost, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we were made, like we prayed earlier, from that love and for that love. That means that blessing, good things, anything that happens, it is an overflow of being united to God. Not something we do, uh, not something that motivates our relationship to be with God in the first place. Both of these sons today misunderstood this. And I think some of us, we reject the Father, like we said, due to our badness, and it's crazy to say it, but some of us reject the Father due to our goodness. We're so entitled. I think we deserve the Father's love. Some of us say, I do what I want, when I want, where I want, either all the time or just right now. But some of us say, I, I don't need you. I've got this. I'm a good moral person. Like, I don't really need a relationship with you, God. And we all exist, like I said, in this continuum between the two. So ask yourself this morning, which son are you? And if you feel like you're in a refreshing season where you're almost off the charts, you're not on that continuum for some reason, can you help the rest of us out? You know, that would be great. The second implication I want to talk about, figure out which son we are or which one we most likely are in our sins and then believe what the Father says about you. Know that however you answer that question in turning away from self-destruction or self-righteousness, these are the thoughts that the Father has about you for the first son, okay? In Christ... I am completely accepted. I renounce the lie that I am rejected, unloved, dirty, or shameful. The Father says of me, I have declared you forgiven of all your sins. I have birthed you, my child. I brought you into union with me. Your life is complete in Christ. And if you're feeling like the second son this morning, if you're feeling like the second son this morning, the Father says to you, in Christ, you could say this in your relationship to the Father, I should say. In Christ, I am totally secure and significant. I renounce the lie that I am unimportant, inadequate, incompetent, or powerless. The Father says of me, I have chosen you and appointed you to bear fruit. I have chosen you to work with me. You're already in. I am seated you with Christ in the heavenly realm, and you can do sacrificial, loving things through Christ who strengthens you. You're already in. Don't miss the party. And there's so many more implications we could say about the Father's love, but how do we start making these truths? practical for us next week how do we make these implications practical for us next week I don't want to just have right thoughts when we go to lunch I want to do something with it so two applications for us this week you guys in closing we have one delight in the father's love by reflecting on his faithfulness delight in his love by reflecting on his faithfulness a way we could do this there's lots of ways you could do that but here's the suggestion for me is to go ahead and write just a horizontal line for yourself i'm getting these applications from uh, pastor and author john tyson as well so these are inspired from him um but write write out a line for yourself write out a horizontal line it could be your entire life it could be the last five years it could be from when you got saved but have a start point and an end point the end point is today the start point is depends on how ambitious you are right 
But then write vertical lines and horizontal lines that you can clearly say God met you in some beautiful moment or in some broken moment, but that God met you there, right? These are some questions you might ask. What are beautiful moments of my life and what are the most broken moments of my life where the Father showed his love to me? What are my highs? What are my lows? And then don't just write it down. That would be good, but discuss it, especially with people involved. Pray about it, right? Celebrate the Father's love toward you. And in the overflow of that celebration, receiving, contemplating, exciting yourself about the Father's love and embrace toward you in your past. Because here's part of the reason I want to do this, you guys. It seems like both of these sons forgot that the Father loved them. I'm sure they knew it at some point, but they forgot it. I don't want to forget it. And out of the overflow of that love that we remember, I want to delight ourselves in the Father this week by making peace with our earthly fathers. Because this is one of the tensions that we talked about that really impacts how we understand Father. And I know this isn't possible for all of us. Let's throw a caveat out there, but it's not possible for all of us because our dad might be dead, but maybe you could write a tribute to him. And some of us may have suffered some sort of physical abuse that it would be kind of inappropriate for us to talk. But I think most of us, even if our relationship is strained and hard, we have the ability to have some kind of connection with our father. And I would encourage you, write a letter to him this week. Right? You can send it to him as a Christmas gift, but write a letter to him this week to your earthly father and make it some sort of tribute. Make it some sort of thankful thing for the things that he did for you. And also you can acknowledge, you can be honest about hard truths and things that you've forgiven him for as well. As long as you're honest and you've actually forgiven him. I cannot describe to you how transformative this would be for fathers in this room and in this world. And you could literally bring the love of God that you have received and bring pockets of hope this season of Christmas. This will be way Better. This will be the best gift your dad's ever received, I imagine, but it'll be way better than some random Bluetooth speaker you got at Ross or something. Right? Way better. This is my encouragement to you this morning. Do these two things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love, grace, mercy, tenderness, steadfastness, embrace, the way you wrap yourself around us, that we might not even be stoned, even though it's actually what we sort of deserve. God, you've made us from love and you've made us for love. And whether it's in ingratitude or entitlement, we forget that all the time, all the time. So Lord, help us remember this, whether in writing about it, praying about it, discussing about it, and help us in the excitement and the gratefulness of that love that you've shown us, overflow that to make peace on earth. Not in our own works, not in our own deeds, but in Jesus' precious name. To the will of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the power of the Spirit, we say, Amen.